We at the What Rules Podcast are dedicated to helping multicultural women like you outsmart the game to advance their careers through rule-breaking strategies. That's why we are thrilled to announce the What Rules Leadership Conference coming this October for you and your manager. Our half-day virtual leadership event is developed specifically for women of color and their managers. And together, we'll address pressing need to redefine the face of leadership and break the rules to elevate multicultural women in the workplace. So come and break the rules with us and change the face of leadership on October 25th, 2023. We will have more information soon. So save the date, follow us on social media for the latest, and we cannot wait to see you there. Hey everyone, we're so glad you're here. I'm Elisa Monjadas. I'm a marketing leader and executive coach. I'm Courtney Copeland, and I'm an accountability and wellness coach. And I'm Dr. Murari Simeon, an activator of talent, HR executive, author, and working mom. If you're anything like the successful multicultural women we interview on the What Rules podcast, you've learned that you can't do it alone. And we teach women like yourself to outsmart the game to get ahead in your career. We're really talking about those rules that we grew up with as women and expectations that have been placed on us. Our mission is to change the face of leadership at What Rules Podcast. As you listen to our talented guests, take note and take action. Go ahead, go and break those rules. You guys, I'm so excited because we are turning a new leaf this year with the What Rules Podcast. We've been doing this for a little over three years. Technically, Madadi and I started in 2019. We released the podcast in 2020. Yes. And now here we are, 2023, about to have our first What Rules Leadership Conference. So exciting. Yeah, it's so exciting. Yay. And we have just so much to give. And what I have been personally touched by are the slacks, text, Instagram messages that I'm getting from actually like white men, white women, people who really want to support the advancement of women of color, multicultural women in the workplace. And what I think is really exciting is that there's this community that I see forming with all types of people who want to really change the face of leadership. I agree with you. I can't tell you how many people have reached out that are not multicultural. And the biggest question is, how can I help? What can I do? So I'm super excited that this is happening this year. Yay. These Broken Wrong episodes are really to help seal in why we're doing what we're doing, not just for the conference, but why we do the work that we do. And I think of myself as a fourth generation Mexican-American. I think of when I first started in my career, I had a white man as a mentor. He actually got me the job and he was my CEO. And so he was kind of my sponsor. If you think about it that way, I told him, yes, I want to work with executives. I want to be an executive coach. I was like 23. And he's like, I can't give you that. But I, and, but he created another position for me so that I could get to where I wanted to go. And uh, we worked with all men. He taught me how to look at someone 
firm in the eye, do a firm handshake. He would test me on my handshakes all the time. Those those little <laughs> things that like make a really big difference, especially when you're like 20. I think eye contact's a really big one. Yes. Teaching yes. direct eye contact takes so much practice. The good thing is now they even have classes. Like my kids used to go to this, it's called Kids Drunk. And the first thing that they would teach him is shaking hands and look the people in the eye. I'm like, they didn't have that oh when I was growing gosh. up. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yes. My kids were learning that at four years old. It's crazy. Oh my gosh. It's just new things that they do, but uh, it's to build their confidence. So yeah. I wish they had that when we were growing up. <laughs> We've all been here before. Managers were once employees. And so that's what this episode is going after. It's going after what employees are experiencing because um, it's something everyone can relate to. If you're a CEO, if you own your own business, if you're a VP, if you're a director, you didn't like magically become a CEO or a VP. <laughs> and and so that's why I love this episode cuz it's really for everyone. Yes, we're we're speaking to employees, but it is truly for everyone. Yeah. So when we're thinking of the broken rung, we're thinking of leadership development and the hurdles that women face becoming leaders um, and climbing that corporate ladder. There's a hurdle, not even getting to the CEO VP level, but this broken run is talking about even the hurdles in the very first steps, like the entry level steps, getting someone to open the door for you, getting a seat at the table. How do you actually develop in the beginning of your career to make those next steps possible? And it's worse because multicultural women are disproportionately affected. As a reminder, we referenced a stat. It was a 2022 Women in the Workplace study by McKenzie. And it says for every 100 men who are promoted from entry-level roles to manager positions, only 87 women are promoted. And only 82 women of color are promoted. So... If that doesn't paint a picture for you, I don't know what will. Every time I hear those stats, I, I remember why we're here and why we started this. Uh, if you remember in the first episode of this three-part series, we talked directly to managers about what they can do to fix the broken rung. Remember, it's going to take all of us to make it happen. Today, we are talking to multicultural women and the steps that you can take as a multicultural woman to own your narrative and really to address the broken rung. How are we doing? What is our part in this journey? And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're here to change the face of leadership and to change the face of leadership, we must stay in the game. Ooh, I love that, Medati. <laughs> <laughs> and just personally, it's happened to me, I'm sure it happened to the both of you that there are times where you want to give up or you just want to keep your mouth shut or you're just want to just let the time pass by, but we must stay in the game. We must take action and we must move forward. And for women of color, we know it is that much harder because we are the double only. And let me just step back a minute so that we could all understand what the double only is. But to understand the double only, we need to understand the only. So women who are onlys 
mean that they're often the sole representative of their race or gender in the workplace. And as you all know, women face unique and challenging experience. Being an only draws attention to them and not the good attention, typically one that results in higher scrutiny. It honestly sucks being the only. Like, yes! I'm just going <laughs> to, like, it's hard. And a lot of women, they don't want to be the only. They just happen to be there. Exactly. They are just doing their part and just bringing their talents to the workplace. And it's, oh, it, it's, it's painful. Wait till you, I tell you about the double only. <laughs> I'm not laughing because that's funny. I'm laughing because of the way you said, let me tell you about the double only. It's like, oh gosh, like, it's like, there's more. How, how is there more? Yes. Courtney, there's more. There is more. Uh, Okay. What's the double only? What this means is both as the only woman in the room and as the only person of their race in the room, this equals a double only. And what happens in this case is typically the biases increase, the discrimination, the performance pressure, making the woman of color, the multicultural woman, more prone to burnout. So being a double only significantly compounds the existing challenges of multicultural women in the workplace. But don't worry. Don't worry. We have good news. (laughs) We are here to shine the light into what you can do to advance your career. So while it sounds depressing, we are here with you and we're going to make this work. What I love about this conversation and addressing the double only is that I mean, we've all heard this, like turn your turn your weakness into a strength. It doesn't have to be a weakness. It's frustrating as heck. Like, I don't think any, like Elisa yes. said earlier, no one chooses <laughs> that, right? But we're passionate. We have a duty. We're educated. We're driven. Like we want to be there. This isn't a conversation to say that we don't want to be there. But we also have to recognize that it's hard. And so how do we make that hardship a little bit lighter? How can we invite some fun into it? How can we invite growth and transformation into it? Like we're here, we're not going anywhere. So what are we going to do? There's a study that talks about how women of color actually want to advance in the workplace. So there's two sides of this. One, we have people leaving, women leaving, the great breakup, like Courtney talked about uh, the last time we talked about this. But two... We have people who actually want to stay and they want to advance. And let me see. Let me let me pull out a little stat for y'all. This is from 2019. McKinsey and Lenin did a report that said 83% of Asian women, 80% of Black women, and 76% of Latinas say they want to be promoted compared to 75% men and 68% of white women in the study. Wow. Maybe after they listen to this podcast, they're like, yeah. That's right. (laughs) So then the question is, what's really holding them back? Well, I mean, I know we want to stay positive on this podcast, but there, there are some realities. For example, like Latinas and Asian women are more likely than women of other races and ethnicities for other people to comment on their culture or their nationality. It's always like, where are you from? Or people try to guess which Asian are you? Oh my <laughs> you gosh. Know? Um, and which Latina? One yes, of my, that's true. 
And like, all, obviously, like this is a California thing, but I had a friend who was from El Salvador and every time people would ask her if she was Mexican and she said, no, I'm from El Salvador, they would go, oh, oh, you're from El Salvador. How exciting. And she was like, wait a second. So when I was Mexican three seconds ago, you're like not interested. And now that I'm from El Salvador, you are. And so she got so mad at all the bias that she just started telling people she was Mexican just because she was like fed up with like people having different biases towards different ethnicities within the Latina culture, Latino culture. And I don't think it's a problem that people want to know. Like the curiosity is natural, but it's the tone and approach, like lean in with curiosity, not judgment or confusion. My least favorite question is, what are you? <laughs> it's not it's, funny. It's, it's so like, absurd to me. It's funny because it's so common. It's so common, yes. I mean, we all know, like, Courtney and I have talked about this. How people are like, oh, like, you look so exotic or there's something so different about you. What is it? And I think you're right. People are just wondering. They're curious. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's something about, like, getting that question everywhere you go for your entire life yeah like every day but, but Courtney's right though it's really because I like for example when I ask people about where they're from or where they grew up I want to know from a learning perspective because yeah. I'm all about from a cultural perspective okay what's different what's not different and for the past 12 years, I've been going to a Hispanic church and they're multicultural. They're from everywhere. And I know that there are things culturally that are different for a Mexican that are for a Puerto Rican. So being able to understand that, I'm very curious. So I agree with Courtney. I don't think pe most people mean it in the in a negative way. It's the tone or saying something as ridiculous as, oh, how exciting. Like, really? <laughs> what were you not excited before? So... <laughs> One of the things that we talk about here is staying positive because we have the power to change the face of leadership, but I do believe it's critical to understand where we're at so that we can know where we need to go. There's one piece of understanding I also want to sprinkle in here to empathize as well. Having these questions come up in the workplace is also emotionally draining and distracting from work. The subtle questions can end up having a bigger external impact because of the emotional weight that those things can carry. It's It can feel isolating. I mean, we ask people here, like for our listeners, we want them, if they are Korean, for example, we want them to know that like, hey, there's a, we're talking to a Korean woman this week. Like there are some positives about sharing your culture or and embracing it. That's important because people need to see themselves in this higher level positions. And there could be a woman that has never met a C-suite Salvadorian. And by her identifying herself, that person, whether she's in another country or just in another level in her company, mm -hmm. she sees herself and she sees somebody that could understand her or can relate to her culture. So she sees the possibilities. I think that's super important to call out is that we need women, multicultural women to see themselves in that higher up position from the beginning. And tying this back to wellness in the workplace, a part of your wellness in the workplace is feeling valued. And if someone's questioning or is surprised 
by your language skills or how you present yourself or your hairstyle, your clothing. Like that might be a question of curiosity, but if it's not delivered correctly, it's really easy to question your value and like how do people perceive you? Are you questioning my language skills because you're doubting my ability to lead this presentation, to give you direction, to manage you? Those things sculpt vision. And so I'm glad you're bringing that up because everything is so interwoven. Like you can't talk about one piece without another. Absolutely. And these are all things that impact the broken rung, right? It is all those things that are biases or stereotypes that people see and make judgments or more important, make decisions based on things that they're not educated on from a cultural perspective. Mm-hmm. So this is critical that I, I wanted to bring that together because I want people to understand we're talking about these things because they impact the decisions that leaders make. So it is our responsibility to be prepared on what we're going to do to ensure that we take control of our narrative to advance our careers. There's a statistic about Black, Asian, and Latinas and how often they are confronted or I guess how often they encounter people who are surprised about their language skills, like kind of like what Courtney was saying earlier, like, oh, you're really articulate. Wow. Congratulations. That's amazing. (sighs) I see, Courtney, you're shaking your head. It bothers me so, so deeply. Like I've had people fully innocently question my blackness because of the way that I speak. As in, you can't talk that way if you're black. And I'm like, do you expect me to not be offended? (laughs) Now, are these are these black people or white people? (laughs) I'm like, wait, I want to know who's saying that. Great question. (laughs) I get it from both sides. Probably more black people. Because I get mine with my California accent. I get a lot of flack from like other Latinos because I don't have an accent. Mm -hmm. But I I have seen like white people being surprised that I don't have an accent. So how do you handle it? Because I think this is an opportunity for the women that are going through this or that they will encounter this. How should they handle those type of questions or statements, Courtney? I think there's a couple ways to approach it. One, my mindset immediately goes to this is a time to educate someone because if I respond Mm -hmm. with criticism, they're just going to shut down and the cycle continues. To handle this situation, I would respond first by making it about me and less about them because I don't want someone to feel like they're on the defense. And I say, funny, yeah, I've actually had exposure to a lot of different cultures and different backgrounds. I have lived in three different regions of the U.S. now. I've traveled a lot growing up. And so I think just being around so many people throughout my life is the reason why I don't sound like one type of person. I think like it's embracing the multicultural part of who I am so that they don't feel as confused but I also affirm my identity and who I am. And hopefully they ask the question a bit differently moving forward instead of why do you sound that way? Like, tell me about 
your past. Tell me about your education. Who are you? Where are your parents from? Which I actually appreciate. When I say this, a a follow-up question I will get is, where are your parents from? And where did you go to school? And I think leading in that direction, it's more of a conversation of how did you get here and not attacking my ability to speak well. That reminds me in uh, grad school, I took a class. It was on multiculturalism and intersectionality. And we had to do a project where we wrote out all the layers of ourselves, Mm -hmm. like where we were born, where our parents were born, what our parents did, what we did, you know, all the different angles of who we are. And for me, like just sitting down and thinking about everything that makes me me one, it gave me like more understanding of myself. Yeah. So now when people ask me about those layers, I mean, through the years, it's changed. Before, people would ask me about the layers and I would feel offended or hurt, really more hurt, like, oh, you don't understand me. And now that I've just, you know, grown up a little bit, embraced it, I'm proud of all those layers. And I'm excited that I'm different from everyone else. And I want to tell everyone because, oh, you've never seen someone like me or talked to someone like me. Great. Like, let me share more. I feel the same way. No, I love that perspective because you're coming from a positive side. If you love and embrace and are happy with yourself, it's going to come across. It doesn't matter what the situation is. They could be meaning it positive or negative, but the way that it's coming from you is I am so confident in myself and I so love my background and where I'm from that there's nothing you could do, but you're, you know, to offend me. If anything, I'm going to take this opportunity for you to meet people like me so that your unconscious bias, your stereotypes change for the future. I think that's also a big part of knowing what you want. And it's helped me to step into what I actually want. Like owning that truth allowed me to give myself a chance and take risks on work opportunities that I maybe wouldn't have otherwise. Honestly, I think that's a big part of what helped me say yes when the two of you asked me to be a co-host. I think three years ago, probably would have had a different answer. Um, You know? So it's, it's cool. Owning your truth is freeing. I love that. Owning your truth is freeing. So that's another piece of advice for our listeners. So do you know your truth? Mm -hmm. And are you happy with your truth? And what can you do to embrace your truth? Because like you said, Corny, it is part of your well-being. And I mean, in this case, truth, sometimes it bothers me when people say truth, you know, (laughs) because it's like so overused right now. But I think in this case, it's like your identity, I guess. I don't know if that's a better word or a different way of saying it. But um, yeah, it's it's also part of owning your power. Yes, that's what it is. Owning your power. And your identity is your power. Absolutely. Your experiences are your power. Absolutely. I love that. I mean, I think I've, I've been hearing, right, advocate for yourself. So know, know your identity and how that makes you different in a, in a good way, you said, Alisa, right? Like it's knowing your identity and loving who you are. What, what else? What are some of the other things women can do when they're faced with this double only that we know has an impact um, with the broken rung? One of my favorite uh, stories on our podcast has been episode 30, 
five, Lucy Park, Korean American. Oh, yes. She's a partner at one of the largest law firms in the world. It's huge. Perkins Cole, just so you all know. And she was a partner at the law firm. And one of the other partners, they teamed up on a lot of their work together. And he started noticing that every time they got walked into a room, whoever was in the meeting would ask Lucy to get them coffee or water, not knowing that she was a partner in the business. And so they they came up with a plan. And the white male partner said, okay, Lucy, this is what we're going to do. Anytime we go into a board meeting, you're going to sit down first. I'm going to stay standing and I'm going to start offering people something to drink. How are you doing? And I'm going to play like host, the host of the party. And then everyone will see that you are the boss. And I'm going to ask you first, like, can I get you something, Lucy? And what that did was it leveled the playing field for her and it helped people to gain respect. And I thought that was really cool that he did that because he saw he saw the bias and he's yes. like, no worries, I got you. He wasn't even a sponsor, just a colleague. He's like, let me take care of this. And I thought it was really cool that he recognized it and that she accepted the help. And that's part of it, right, is accepting that help and saying, when people say, how can I help you? Or, hey, is it okay if I do A, B, or C for you? That you say, yes, because to your point, this was a game changer for her. People realize she's the boss. I love that. As multicultural women, we know, we understand, we know firsthand things that we go through every day and many times what it feels to be the double only. But we must take control on how we're going to react and the steps that we're going to take to change the game. And many times people say, you just have to call out the bias. You just have to tell your manager. But the reality is as multicultural women, even calling out the bias can be dangerous because the stereotypes and unconscious bias are still there. So what I recommend for multicultural women and things that I've done in the past, if it is in a meeting, you get allies around you. Who are the people in the meeting that you trust that can either bring it up or say it differently in a way that is supportive to you? But most important, if it is your boss, one of the things that I've done personally is I've had a meeting with my boss and I talk about how I feel. The minute you start pointing and saying, hey, what you did was wrong, people get defensive. So being able to say, hey, when you talked about how I handled this situation or when you talked about, I don't know, whatever it may be, it made me feel like this. It made me feel like I wasn't contributing. It made me feel like I was not doing things right. And my question is, is there, an, you know, are, is there an issue with my performance? Is there an area that you want me to do better? Is there something that I'm missing? So you're kind of asking for coaching or guidance versus saying, hey, what you said was wrong. And at the end of the day, I believe, well, actually my experience, most of the time it was like, no, no, I didn't mean to say that. I w actually wanted to say something positive about the work you've done 
but it came out negative. Yeah. In my experience, I would say. Okay. So someone says something in a meeting and their like bias is showing. So for, for me to approach them, I approach them and tell them how I feel. So one example, one thing that people would typically say is Merari is the silent assassin. Get her the work and she would get it done and she will remove the people out of the way that are obstructing <laughs> the way to get things done. From a stereotypical perspective, when you look at media, Latinas and women of color, multicultural women are typically um, viewed as violent or they have something to do with prison or something negative. So when you bring those two things together, whether you like it or not, that's an unconscious bias. And at the end of the day, would somebody want anybody in their team who's a silent assassin? When I did speak to my leader several years ago about this, I said, hey, you know, the way that you said that made me feel uncomfortable. And they were like, oh my God, I didn't mean that. It's supposed to be a compliment. Like you get it done. And what I said is in the future, I would appreciate if you could say, if you could tie it to a competency and say, Merari, you do great execution. You're a great influencer and a relationship builder. So whenever there are issues in the way, you get it done because you have all these abilities. Calling me a silent assassin, there are other things that are stereotypes and unconscious bias that they're building. I've definitely been like walked into a meeting and someone said, oh, great. The Latin heat is here. And like, I do not like that. <laughs> it makes me mad even thinking about it. And like, I don't want to teach them. <laughs> like, I don't want to, I don't want to say like, excuse me, but the Latin heat is like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want to even have that conversation. Your experience is so relatable where you're like, I am so pissed off that I don't want <laughs> to teach you because if I open my mouth, uh -huh. I'm just going to leave it there. If I open my mouth, it's, we're not doing it. It's real. It's real. And it's, it's hard and it's easy to shut down because you also don't want to say something unprofessional or create conflict. In hindsight, would you change anything? How? What and that's would, what I did, by the way. I did that. That's what you did. And that's, <laughs> it's so relatable and it's okay because it's hard. It's so hard to respond in that moment. But now that you're out of it, what would you do? I really love the idea of saying, hey, you know what would have been a really great compliment or you know what I would like to receive? Like you said, I brought the heat. It's really because, number one, this is for me personally, like I'm good at having hard conversations. When someone needs to get let go or someone needs to be reprimanded, like you call Elisa as nice as I am, like I'm really good at like giving people the bad news. Now, thinking about everything in Medati's example, I'm like, okay, I would love to be able to say, Elisa, your communication skills are really effective in helping us get things done, and we appreciate that. But this is like how I feel in this moment is I need to practice how I would say things like that because it's so foreign to me to help someone give me a better compliment. I know what my strengths are. I know what I'm good at. But asking someone to recognize them, I need to practice that so that in the moment, next time someone says something, I have it ready to go. And I guess that's where like mentors come in, right? Like yes. that's who I can practice with or with you all. <laughs> so I think also, Elisa, write down the things that you appreciate hearing 
and bringing in mindfulness and wellness into the workspace, be mindful of times that you hear compliments from coworkers and how does it make you feel? Do you find yourself more productive after you get XYZ feedback? And one of the things that my coach tells me every single time we talk is where focus goes, energy flows. Yes. With that in mind, I'm like, okay, instead of telling my boss what I don't like, I focus on the things that served me and that really built me up and supported me. So I'll tell her, thank you. It's so helpful when you tell me X, Y, and Z. It's really affirming to me when you tell me I care what you have to say or when you say I value your leadership. I value the words that come out of your mouth. It's really comforting, I think, because that also tells her how she can support me and her mind's then thinking, okay, these are the ways that I can fill Courtney in the workspace and that can help her do her work more efficiently, more productively and help us work together as a team rather than oh shoot, let me try to take back or undo all the things that offended Courtney, which I'm not saying she has, to be clear. (laughs) She has not. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think just shifting the focus too and focusing on the good has really helped me. And it's developed this um, like positive reinforcement pattern. You're also teaching them without teaching them, right? You're kind without sitting down and educating them, you're actually teaching them a new behavior and something that is positive. It's like, hey, I like when you do this, or this is reinforcing. And hopefully that's something that they continue to to do, not just with you, but with others. So reinforcing those areas, I think are, are critical, especially, I would say, whoever's sitting at the leadership table, when you're having those conversations, reinforce the good. I love that, Corny. I think the, the lesson here and how this can help. If you're listening to this and you're wondering, how do I respond? Leaning into the conversation with, this is how you help me. This is how you've already helped me. And moving forward, it would help me if you X, Y, Z. Thank you for sharing that. I love that you said that because I'm currently, I find myself in a crucial turning point in my, in my career right now. Uh, I'm currently transitioning from a great, great career. And one of the questions that I get the most from people is how can I help you? And number one, you got to be prepared to say how they can help you. But number two, I never even thought of saying you've already done A, B, C, and D. Thank you. That was extremely helpful because Mm. a lot of these folks, this is not the first time that, well, many are the first time they say they meet me and say, Hey, how can I help? But others are like, they've been in my career with me in my career journey, and they've been very thoughtful and very helpful. So I love that you're saying that and how we can continue to reinforce that. But having those relationships and being able to, to have those people around you are critical in all aspects of of your career. Yeah, I think it's like you want someone, it's like a cross, you want someone above you, you want someone below you, and you want people on 
both sides of you. And those that's your community of support. You have people teaching you, you have people walking alongside you, and then you're then helping others. And even I'm sure you both can relate when you're helping others, you actually learn a lot about yourself. And it reinforces the things that you know are true or things that you know you should do, but maybe you don't. So like I could easily tell someone, hey, why don't you affirm your uh, coworkers or your leaders, but I don't do it myself. But just having those conversations like are a good reminder for me. Like we really need each other. Yes. We always say this, right? You don't have to do this alone. Um, there are people around you, whether they're mentors, sponsors, or just peers that you can talk to and that can help you through this process, regardless of what you're going through at work. But by not doing it alone and getting the support or the advice, the mentoring, whatever it is, it allows, it empowers you and it helps you advocate for yourself in a different way, in a way that comes across impactful so that change is made. We don't want to say things just to say things. We don't want to call out bias just to call out bias because whether we like it or not, we are double onlys and it's not going to be received the same way as if somebody that is not a double only would say it. We got to be strategic about how we do this and being able to talk to your peers, mentors, or, you know, just even us right here, we're talking about these things. Okay. How can I do it better? How can I get you know, my point across. And to do that, we got to be strategic. We got to be intentional and we got to pay attention so that we can take one step forward instead of backwards. And these are really like one step at a time, one yes. strategy at a time. Yes. You know, we really only talked about a few different strategic tactics. We're going to talk about so many more um, at our conference, the What Rules Leadership Conference. Let me just give a little plug for that happening in October. Look at our show notes for uh, the registration. But the bottom line is that we have to think ahead. We have to access our network and... We have to practice so that when we need to speak up, we know how to speak up yes. because as a double onlys, it has to be done a certain way and that's just the way it is. I think the other piece which we didn't touch on, and I know we'll touch about it in the, in the conference, is just getting noticed. There may be unconscious bias in the room or people may be saying things to about you or to you, but not getting noticed is also a big one and a huge opportunity for us to change the face of leadership. One of the things that I do that I've been doing in my, in my career to get noticed, it's really make sure that I know who is sitting at the decision-making table. And how do they know about my experiences and my work? Maybe you just have a meeting with them to see how they got to where they're at, they got to. But sometimes it's just as easy as knowing who their peers are and having relationships with them so that they know what you're doing. It's not a mentoring relationship. It's more of hey, this is what I'm working on. Any advice on how I could do it better? It's exposure. Yes, absolutely. It's just dropping seeds of the work that you're doing, of all the great things that you're doing. We need to get better at that because a lot of the times people are like, I didn't even know you were doing this. Or I didn't even know you were leading this project. Mm -hmm. We kind of keep it to ourselves and we got to figure out ways to get more exposure. And a lot of the times is we got to let more people know. I think being 
honest too about the process that you're in. If you are developing, you know, a new project, if you have a new idea, a lot of people don't want to share whatever that is until there's a final product. But let it be known, like I've taken this initiative. This is something I care about. It's not perfect. I would love to know what's your reaction to this so far. And I think that will open up a lot of doors, inviting people into your process. I love that you said that because the other day I told someone I was stuck and I didn't want to tell them. Like I was embarrassed that I was stuck on this project. And the person's response was, wow, congratulations that you're doing this project. And I just thought that was so cool that the first thing she recognized was that I was doing the work. And then she addressed, like, let me see if I can help you get unstuck. But I thought I was did not want to tell her I was stuck because of my pride. Right. But I didn't even think about the fact that I was doing this giant project. And like, that's cool in itself. People love to help. I mean, I have found more and more that the more exposed I get, the more I tell people about what I need support with, the more people are genuinely willing to help. It's scary, but when you put yourself out there, people will help. A hundred percent. And I think for employees who are at entry level, if you're not sure what direction to go in, maybe you're not ready to take that initiative yet, look around you and see what's already in process and ask those people. And I'm I'm so big on wellness in the workplace, workplace culture, leading with honesty and vulnerability and saying, hey, I see that this is something you're working on. I, It's very cool to me, whatever your plug is that you like about it, and say, I don't fully understand what you're working on, but I would really like to be a part of this. Is there any way I can make this easier for you? And people are normally like, wow. Courtney, this is so you. You you live this. You embody this. If anyone can give this advice with backup, it is you. (laughs) Is that how I approached our connection? Yes. And how I've seen you approach so many others. Like that is why you are here with us, like almost 20 years younger, first year into your career, like speaking on these things because you actually walk the walk and you represent all the women. I'm going to cry because it's like so big just because you represent like the potential and like you represent the face of leadership that we want to change. Yes. You're going to make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) That was very sincere. And and I love that you said that, Alisa, because it is, it is so true. This is why we started it all. And to be able to see somebody like you, Corny, doing so much and making such a huge impact, it's just, it fills me up with even more energy because there there's hope. But also none of this would be possible without either of you. The vision that you have Even, and this is where I was when Elisa and I met, I had a vision and was so, so, so scared. And I was trying to do it alone. And then Elisa reminded me, I don't have to do it alone. Not even that I don't have to, but it's pretty much impossible (laughs) to do it alone. Mm -hmm. And to humble yourself and look for those mentors and look at the, the women 
like the two of you are mirrors, right? I think that's, that's something I would say to our listeners is like, look for those mirrors, look for the women you want to become, um, look for the leadership characteristics in other people, not just women that you want to become, that you want to embody and trust yourself that that can be you. And it's intimidating, but it leads to beautiful situations like this. And that's what I'm talking about, owning your narrative, right? Get those mentors. Look, you know, don't do it alone. Take this as an example, right? Just the three of us. Um, and really be strategic about how you give feedback, whether it's your boss or be strategic about how you let other people know of all the great things that you're doing. And definitely ask for help. Thank you for sharing, ladies, as always. Uh, we are not done with this broken, wrong conversation. There is a part three. We know it's bigger than the employees. It's bigger than managers and leaders. This issue is organizational and it's systemic. And so in part three, we're going to talk about the big picture, how organizations can address the broken wrong. So stay tuned and we can't wait to share more. Want more advice on how to break the rules and outsmart the game to advance your career? Check us out on Instagram, YouTube, and our website, whatrulespodcast.com for more insight from our guests and hosts and join our community on LinkedIn where we discuss rule-breaking strategies for multicultural women. What Rules is a project of Zara Consulting and is supported by the amazing team at Stories Bureau. This episode was produced by Alexandra Uresta with editing and music supervision by Joshua Ramsey and was engineered and mixed by Tim Ballant. Our podcast cover was designed by Delion Creative. Visit whatrulespodcast.com for more info, upcoming events, and all episodes of What Rules, including video, and make sure to give us a follow.